Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. These are the readings for Ash Wednesday. Our first lesson this evening is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and verses 12 through 17, beginning with the first verse. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your, her a, heritage, your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson, our second reading this evening is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20b through chapter 6, verse 10, beginning with verse 20b. We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. 
with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see. We are alive as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Return to the Lord your God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. grace to you and peace from God our creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Got a little pop quiz for all you veterans out there. Let's see who is the fastest. What does this mean? All right. I think I heard Bob Snyder first. Well done, Bob Snyder. Well done. SOS. Yes, that is what that means. SOS. It's Morse code for save our ship. But we have long since let go of the linguistic meaning for that Morse code. It just is an international symbol of distress now. You don't even have to know what it means. You just know it's distress. Things are going poorly. Morse code has been around for a long time, 160 years, over 160 years. And even though it's largely been replaced in the 90s by more sophisticated technology, the United States Air Force still trains, anybody got a guess of how many people they train every year in Morse code? 10, 10 people, 10 lucky souls have to memorize Morse code every year still. We still need it 
If for no other reason, it's a good idea to have more than one way to universally signal I'm in trouble. Because if there's one thing that we are good at, it is getting ourselves into trouble. So we need plenty of ways to cry for help. And that's what we're doing here tonight. Proclaiming that we are in distress, and we know it. We know it not only for ourselves, but for all of humanity. All creation groans under the weight of this, this distress. And we Christians show how deeply we understand the brokenness of our condition by gathering together on this first day of Lent to smudge ashes on our foreheads. We are very intentional about how we go about this ritual. Perhaps you have noticed throughout your life in the church that your pastor has said at times your name as they have handed you that little wafer. Amber, the body of Christ given for you. Or Anita, the body of Christ given for you. Maybe you had a pastor who was lucky enough to remember your names. <laughs> we definitely make sure to say not only your first names, but your middle ones at your baptism. We always do there. In both cases, it's appropriate in those sacraments to remember your name, to say it to you directly. That sacrament is just about you. But maybe it has slipped by you and you've likely, that you've likely never heard your pastor say your name when they've drawn an ashy cross on your forehead. He or she has simply said, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And that is intentional. We don't say each other's names when we impose ashes because this is a ritual sign of our common mortality. No one is getting out of this mess alive. There is no one in here either more better at sinning than anyone else. Which is comforting, I guess. And yet at the same time, it is an essential part of our Lenten journey for each of us to reflect on our particular brand of brokenness that we bring to the table. As Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, to go to the cross for our sake these next 40 days, we follow behind him this entire season and reflect on what in our lives compels him to make this journey in the first place. How are we contributing? We enter Lent both for all of humanity and for ourselves. It's an odd thing to do. Something for everyone and something just for us. To, it's odd to voluntarily, I think, agree to take part in this season. It is not exactly fun to Lent. And I was thinking about that today when I went up to St. Elizabeth's for my second dose of the COVID vaccine. Woohoo! I didn't feel bad after I got the first dose at all, but I have been told by folks who have gotten the second dose to expect to feel kind of cruddy tomorrow. And what a I was sitting there thinking, as, as I was kind of excited to be getting this shot and be fully inoculated, I was thinking, what a weird thing it is to be excited about the prospect of feeling cruddy tomorrow. What a weird thing to volunteer for, to get weaker, just to get stronger down the road. Not just stronger for yourself, but stronger for everyone else. The strength of my inoculation depends on the strength of yours. We are in this together when it comes to vaccines. 
We volunteer to be weakened so that together we can be stronger. That is also the business we are about tonight and these next 40 days. We plunge forehead first into this penitent reflection, pondering without provocation. No one has told us to do this. Pondering the sin that leads to death, not just death with all its physical finitude, but death of relationships, death of trust, death of civility, death of love. That is the sin we ponder as well. The sin that leads to all sorts of death. The sin that creates distance between us and God and between us and each other. We gather to a night to admit that we are in distress and cannot figure a way out on our own. And we draw a cross on our forehead to signal to our God that we need forgiveness. Now, hopefully tonight or tomorrow morning, you'll all take a bath <laughs> and clean your faces off. But liturgically speaking, I hope you'll notice something in the bulletin. Liturgically speaking, we are not going to smudge, or we are not going to wipe these crosses off of our foreheads, liturgically speaking, until Monday, Thursday. You'll notice in your bulletin that we confess our sin tonight, but we do not receive absolution for it. We confess it, but it is not until Monday, Thursday, that we officially receive absolution, receive forgiveness. And if, if you don't recall what Monday, Thursday is, Monday, Thursday of Holy Week is that day that Jesus gives us an answer and tells us how he will respond to our sin and draw us close. On that night, when Jesus gathers his disciples for that meal and is faced with the betrayal and sin of some of them, he does not pull his hand back to slap us down in punishment, but he kneels down and washes our feet. It will be an act of mercy on that night that humbles us. And yet, like one fully inoculated, ultimately strengthens our faith and calls us into a deeper relationship with a Lord who washes our feet and then directs us toward each other. It's about us about each other. That's the business we are about tonight. Worship is a drama. It is a drama that we are doing up here. But we are never the only actors in that drama. God is about something here tonight, too. We will walk away tonight seeing crosses and ash on each other's foreheads. But what will God see? I have a hope that God sees something entirely different than crosses and ash. I have a hope that the God who sees a throne for his son when he looks at the manger will see something entirely different tonight. I have a hope that a God who sees a cross of mercy when it is actually an instrument of death will see something different tonight. I have a hope that a God who sees life when he looks upon a tomb 
see something different tonight. And that hope is this. I hope that when God looks upon our worship tonight, he does, in fact, see contrite hearts, but the shape of those hearts and the look of them are seeds. Seeds. And when he looks at those seeds and at, at our foreheads, I hope that he doesn't see solemn ash, but a bit of dirt to use to plant these seeds. My hope is that we are not buried tonight under the ash of guilt or sorrow or shame as we are wont to do in Lent, but that we are being planted these 40 days. My hope is that in offering our hearts for reflection these next 40 days and with Jesus supplying the cross-shaped dirt and the Holy Spirit adding the baptismal waters, that God will give growth to something new. Lord knows we need it. That is my hope. My hope is that God does not need this penitential season, that God does not need you to have a contrite heart, but he will make use of it. He will use these 40 days to grow you, to grow your faith, and to make something new of you and me. It is not just my hope, it is my desperate prayer. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.